When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures. And it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada Land. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada Land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health here in Toronto. Cutting-edge, state-of-the-art, compassionate facility. Right now, it is Mental Health Awareness Week. This is the time when they need you most. This is the time when you can make a real difference when it comes to doing something about the mental health crisis and the devastating opioid epidemic, the overdose epidemic that we're currently experiencing, losing 20 people every day. They need your help. Donate at camh.ca slash canadaland to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. This episode of Canada Land Shortcuts is brought to you by Hover. Start your next project today by getting a new domain. Go to hover.com slash CanadaLand and get 10% off your first purchase. Hello, freelance journalist Dave Barry. <laughs> Hello there. Um, Dave, today we are going to talk about this American life's journalistic quest to solve that bedeviling riddle is gavin mckinnis actually racist i think we'll be able to help them with that we will also talk about the globe and mail's new project to teach kids about media manipulation through media manipulation what better way to teach kids really that'll learn them dave good to have you back thanks very much this episode is brought to you by jennifer gray stephen bellier Reese Toy, Benjamin Tippett, Brody Plord, Adam Howe, Rachel Wynn, and Alan Kimber. Alan, why did you decide to be awesome? I support Canada Land because they knocked my maple syrup tinted glasses off of my face and have shown me that we here in Canada aren't as perfect as we'd like to think. And Dave, this episode is brought to you by Hover. You look like a guy who occasionally might need a domain name. Yeah, I'm always starting domains. That's one of my favorite uh, pastimes. Well, who doesn't love that? And the best place to go search for domains is Hover because it's not really sleazy with tons of upsells and gimmicks and things. They don't make it some crazy circuitous. They're actually trying to help you to do this quicker and not just fleece you while you're trying to start a website. They have every domain suffix that you can imagine from .horse to .ninja to .pizza to .com if that's your thing. Yeah, if you're boring, If I you're guess. basic, if yeah. you're vanilla and you want the .com, then they have that too. They do this all without upselling you. They have a clean user interface. They have the best in-class customer support. They have Hover Connect, 
which will allow you to connect your domain name to many website builders with a few simple clicks. Free who is privacy. This is part of that not upselling you thing. They don't try to charge you for things that they don't have to pay money for. If you don't want your name and phone number to be on the public internet for anybody to look up, you just click a box and say you don't want that. 400 plus domain name extensions. So go to hover.com slash Canada land and you will get 10% off of your first purchase. If you've been thinking about starting something, registering that URL is often that first step that you need to motivate you to go forward with it. Hover.com slash Canada land. So Dave, I'm actually, it's the first time I've had occasion to criticize This American Life, a show that I admire sort of above all others. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, that's nice for you <laughs> that this is the first time you found reason. Uh, I, yeah, I, I, I feel even a little bit excited about it. And this is about a story that I think is itself an excellent story. Okay, so the, this week's This American Life is dedicated to having a look at the rise of these alt-right groups and white nationalist groups. And the lead story is about the Proud Boys. And it's, it's a great story. People should listen to it. And it's by one of my favorite producers at This American Life, Zoe Chase, who has a wonderful way of uh, embedding herself among people who are at the other end of the political spectrum of what mm. you might think the NPR, this America, the left. Without judgment, uh, she's able to gain people's trust. She has a genuine curiosity where she's trying to explore why they think the things that they do or how this comes to be. And she has done so in this episode with the Proud Boys, with Gavin McInnes's Proud Boys alt-right group. They've since disavowed the alt-right. At first they said, yes, we are alt-right. And there's a great character in this. There's this uh, kind of central character for pieces. This as a black guy who was a proud boy and also a pickup artist trainer guy. Sort of type. Yeah. Yeah. But he's fascinating and he's really smart. And he actually has a very clear moral conscience, at least as evidenced in this piece. So it's a great piece. But the central question that the piece is sort of organized around is this question of, well, are the Proud Boys racist or aren't they? And is Gavin McInnes racist or isn't he? Uh, and here's what Gavin sounded like and here's what that story sounds like. We are called the Proud Boys. We're sort of like the alt-right without the racism. The alt-right without the racism. If you think about it a certain way, it's an ingenious sales pitch for his product. Gavin's version of right-wing nationalism kept some of the feelings and ideas that animate the alt-right. How affirmative action and feminism have marginalized white men, made them powerless. He kept that part. But he'll say explicitly, we're not racist. He's not racist. He says so. <laughs> well, why wouldn't we take his word for it? It's I right mean, there. There you go. If he says he's not racist, what reason do we have to believe that Gavin McInnes is racist? I'm becoming anti-Semitic, like at the Holocaust Museum. Yeah, like at one point the tour guy goes, you know, and there are people who think that uh, this didn't happen. And I felt like I felt myself defending the, the super far right Nazis just because I was sick of being so much brainwashing. And I felt like going, well, <laughs> they never said it didn't happen. Uh, what they're saying is that it was much less than six million and uh, that they they starved to death and they weren't gassed. Okay, so we could have helped Zoe with this piece uh, because Jonathan Goldsby, our editor, sat through hours of Gavin's paywalled show. In that clip, you heard him say that he found himself defending super far-right Nazis and basically saying uh, in their voice, and he was very quick to say, I'm not saying this. Mm. I'm not saying that the Jews were starved, they, they weren't gassed, but don't misrepresent. 
<laughs> heaven forfend, we should, don't misrepresent super far-right Nazis, let me defend them. And so later he said, don't take this out of context, I was just speaking in the voice of Nazis, I am not a Nazi. Later in that clip, as we reported, he has a lot more to say. And in this part, you'll hear, he is not speaking in defense of anyone else or in the voice of anyone else, and he's not joking either. This is what he said in, in that same clip. Holodomor was Ukrainians. I think it was 10 million Ukrainians that were killed. That was by Jews. That was by Marxist, Stalinist, left-wing, commie, socialist Jews. <laughs> Even with the Nazis, I was like, well, wasn't the Treaty of Versailles, wasn't that disproportionately influenced by Jewish intellectuals? And when they said that Jews are the ones who came up with this stupid plan, they said, well, then I hate Jews. And then you had the Nazi party, and then you had World War II, and then you had six million Jews. So, I mean, that's just Gavin there. That was a really classic, like, right-wing word salad of, like, people who are to blame for all of the problems in the world. Uh, you know, leftist, yeah. communist, socialist, uh, uh, Jewish. Yeah. yeah. And all that stuff is false, by the way. And anyone who wants to go hit the Wikipedia can go, like, <laughs> it's all historically inaccurate. And then further in that clip, he says, Palestinians are stupid Rottweilers. Muslims are stupid. The only thing they respect is violence and being tough. We did this work. Jonathan Goldsby did this work. And the reason why we do this, people listening to this like, are you again with the Gavin McInnes? But it keeps coming back because he's been mm. playing this footsie game, am I racist, aren't I, for decades. Posing in the New York Times with the white power salute, oh, I was just trying to get a rise out of you. In one of my first interactions with him, he said, oh, we don't like Jews here at Vice Magazine. And then later, oh, it was a joke. Everyone is playing this game on his terms. Uh -huh. There's this young journalist who's constantly sending me stuff. He's, he's also on this sleuthing mystery mission. Is Gavin racist? And he's sending me like, look, look, here he is. Here's an old photo of Gavin in a Nazi punk band screwdriver t-shirt, which you know, there, that photo exists. And that is a Nazi punk band. And, and here's, here's a tattoo he has. That's like uh, both. It's like fists with like blue lightning or something. And it's, it's both a white power tattoo, but it's also similar to a logo used by like electrician unions. So, <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, we yeah. don't have to try to guess whether or not he's mm. just really into electricians because he said he's an anti He said it. He said he's becoming like, I believe him. You know, hashtag I believe her. Hashtag I believe Nazis. <laughs> I, I do. I believe them when they tell me that they are racist. In fact, Nazis. Yeah, uh, it, it's frustrating because Gavin has these things that he plays with. Like his wife is an indigenous American woman. And so his kids are mixed kids. And he, he says, how could I be? And I believe that Gavin goes home every night and like he has black friends. He'll he'll point to that. Mm. I don't think he's like secretly polishing his swastikas and saying, haha, I've got them fooled. In its weird way, he is almost a quaint, old-fashioned kind of racist, like a pre-Trump racist where it's like for a while there – you could kind of say whatever you want as long as you didn't say the N-word or openly declare yourself a Nazi or whatever. And people would buy that, I guess, you weren't racist, even though you were using all kinds of other coded language and stuff. Now we just have people who are standing up and saying, I'm tired of all this PC bullshit. I am a racist, etc. And so now it's like he has this extra boogeyman he can point to, as was in that clip, right? Like, we're like the alt-right without the racism. Yeah. Which is like... Okay, <laughs> that that's our, like, but 
everything else he's doing. I mean, even you talk about these specific instances, but even in like in the Proud Boy language and in the, in the way he's founded this, there's things like we want to ban all immigration. We are over, you know, the idea of uh, white or what, what is it there? Guilt. Yeah, there shouldn't be anything to apologize for. We are into the culture of Western male. You know, it's just like it's the tiniest little fig leaf over these things. Well, and we don't we don't owe them the courtesy of entertaining these distinctions. I even hesitate to engage with the ideas. I'm more concerned with this American life. You know, you think, okay, this is done. You know, the rebel imploded Mm -hmm. after Charlottesville, the alt-right is in tatters. Like, why are we still talking about this? Gavin just launched a new show. This American life dedicates, like, they're not gone. They're Mm -hmm. not, rebel's not gone. None of this stuff is gone. It just sort of like reassimilates and it finds ways to reinsert itself in the discourse and it retreats to a position. So Gavin now is, I'm anti-Charlottesville, I'm anti-alt-right, I'm not a racist. So we will do this as many times as is necessary mm-hmm. to remind people like we have the receipts. That's what we're here for. If, if nothing else, we're here for that. Like, please let us be a resource to you. He's a racist and you, you can't say Palestinians are Rottweilers, Muslims are stupid. You can't say those things and not be considered a racist. I sat down with him and I had a, a you know, uh, over an hour I spoke to Gavin and interviewed him for an episode about the early days of Vice. And he is funny and he is engaging. He's charismatic. You can see why he would mm-hmm. be able to start this fraternity slash cult. But he is a very simple thinker. He likes very simple narratives. You know, here's a quote. Muslims are the bad guys. Westerners are the nice guys. So because he doesn't go that deep, he can say, I'm not a racist. I'm just saying the West is the best. Really? It's the best? It's the best culture? Better than where math was invented or where cuisine or or where paper and literature? Okay, fine. But how do you stop at the West is the best and not connect the dots as all of his Proud Boy followers do to, well, who is the West? Yeah. Who is the West? The West is white. That's that's where, so you can't say, well, I'm not racist, but I'm just a Western chauvinist. Well, then you're a white you're a white chauvinist. Yeah, it's like standing on a street corner saying, like, I just think white people need to take power back, and then being surprised when someone shows up and starts yelling white power. The other thing is, is because Gavin is not because he's up there and he doesn't have like a supercut haircut and uh, po faced sort of like jowly way of talking because he has an ounce of charisma. And, you know, a cooler haircut that he probably got someone with tattoos to give him. Like, he just has this infinite thing. And you see this, I think, all the time with these, especially on the right wing side of things. Guys who can make a joke are just given all this leeway because, oh, they're provocative and they're, oh, they're sticking it to whoever and they're whatever. And it... I think that's basically just what it comes down to. He gets all kinds of leeway for this because I guess he looks cool. I think that's part of it. I also feel like journalists hate ambiguity. Mm. They hate ambiguity. And I think that is weaponized against journalism where he introduces so much ambiguity to the point where he can say overtly classically racist and anti-Semitic things, but then give a wink and be like, just kidding. I'm, Mm. I'm the father of the hipsters and have everybody like, well, I don't want to be the dummy who takes the bait and falls for it. And he's he is litigious and he'll come back. And I, he says on his show that ever since this Nazi charge has been laid against him, he's been having trouble at, back home. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a problem with his marriage. And it, damn it, he's not a racist. So 
it's important, I think, to kick these people when they're down. Like it's important not to let them reassimilate their message and refine it and shave off the parts that weren't working and reintroduce themselves into the discourse where, again, we have Gavin McInnes coming on to CBC as he did because mm-hmm. they were bamboozled by this. So like we're here. <laughs> if you want those clips, anyone in the media, if you're if you're like if you're scratching your head, I don't know, should I have Gavin on? Is he a Nazi or not? Please Google Canada land, Gavin McInnes, Gavin McInnes, racist, bigot. We have the story up there. The clips you just heard are there. Let it live for eternity. You know, it should follow him for the rest of his life, the things he said. Yeah, absolutely. And I like the idea of Canada land as like a Wikipedia for racists. Just search it. It's all here. Yeah. (laughs) David, we're going to duly note some things. First, I want to remind people, uh, I've been waiting to talk to Daniel Dale for a long time. Uh, there were a Toronto Star reporter who was on the Rob Ford case and just trying, he was like kind of like the first guy to deal with this. Like, what do you do with a public figure who has no accountability and no regard for the truth? And now he's on the Trump beat and he's a thoughtful guy. And every pressing issue in journalism right now, I think, is a, is a great question for Daniel Dale. And this is uh, going to be a live taping that we're going to be closing the Hot Docs Podcast Festival here in Toronto for. People can buy tickets if you just Google Hot Dogs Podcast Festival, Canada Land, you'll find it. That's October 15th here in Toronto. It's going to be a great show, and i got some things I'm going to announce at that show that we are pretty excited to announce. But for now, let us duly note. Please. I would like to duly note this Sidney Crosby controversy around the take a knee. Mm. I'm not, I'm not, I don't know sports, but it's amazing like, is this a Me Too Canada wanting to, like, get on top of an American story thing? Like, like the Sidney Crosby controversy has, like, taken over every every opinion section of a paper, like, has some, somebody with a Sidney Crosby take. Do, do you have a Sidney Crosby take that, that, he, that he's going to the White House? I mean, I think it's obviously ridiculous. I don't – nothing that hockey players in particular do surprises me because, like, someone like Sidney Crosby is – has been playing hockey since he was six years old thinking of nothing else. Like, this guy does not have a nuanced opinion of – what is going on in the world, which is the lesson here is like, don't put them on pedestals. But I think more specifically with this, this shows us just how quickly this protest that started with Colin Kaepernick and was very specifically about Black Lives Matter and police brutality in the States has just got shifted into this weird, generic anti-Trump thing. Uh, Seeing where it's like, because Trump started insulting them, now they can all stand up to him. And I mean, like, it's good. Uh, I'm I'm glad that they're going for it. But like, when it's now become this huge controversy, it's the easy thing for them to do. What Sidney Crosby and the Pittsburgh Penguins should not be doing is not going to the White House for moral reasons, but also because this is just the basic. No one who's anyone gives a shit what Trump thinks. You know, like no one, no one is tearing down uh, the Golden State Warriors other than the strictest of Trump uh, supporters. For not going to the White House. Like, You're saying where were they when it was just Colin Kaepernick? I'm saying that at this point, going to the White House anyway is an empty gesture. Going, not going at this point is an even emptier gesture, I think. It's a political a gesture. The idea that this is like, oh, he's apolitical, he's staying away. Like, if you're going to the White House, it's a political gesture. You, Absolutely. You, it's nothing but a political. I'm just saying, like, I don't think it has the meaning that uh, it did. Yeah. Like, now it's just a generic anti-Trump thing, which, like, I'm for. Absolutely. Right. But like, you know, it's not, uh, I think it's also kind of a shame that this sort of roiling anti-Trump sentiment has been able to kind of overwhelm the purpose of the protest in the first place. And now like, now it's a debate about like, who are we disrespecting and what's the flag? And I talked to a veteran who isn't insulted by this. And like the original point of the protest was to try to draw attention to police brutality and lack of thing. And I think that's gotten totally. Well, it's it's about race, about police killing black people. 
L. Jones, writing in Vice, reminds us that this is a racial issue and that Sidney Crosby cannot claim ignorance to racial issues, having come from mm. Coal Harbor, where there are apparently like anti-integrationist riots in schools. Like some people say, oh, he's from Canada, he doesn't understand the racial dynamics. That no. I'm always interested in what we debate in Canada and what we give a pass to. And what what I wanted to duly note the Sidney Crosby thing, not because I have some great take to add to the pile of takes. But because it was interesting to me that everybody is, is so concerned with this little Canadian facet of this larger take any thing mm. uh, and that that debate was happening and that we completely slept. I mean, it's apples to oranges. I, I appreciate But like I was kind of like turned – my head was turned around by this, uh, this story that I read in like The Guardian and elsewhere that we are blocking Chelsea Manning entrance to Canada permanently, right? And, yeah. And – it was interesting to me that we sort of refused to have a debate about it. Like the only comments I read were like, well, she is a criminal. We don't let criminals in. That's not true. We actually have like conditions by like we mm-hmm. decide which criminals. We let Conrad Black it. We, we, you know, we do have debates about felons and whether they're allowed to come to Canada or not. And it seems that our government has decided that Chelsea Manning is a criminal who will never be allowed to come to Canada. And Canadians are just quite happy to say, well, if that's what the authorities say, then, you know, that's just the way it is. <laughs> if we could learn nothing from Chelsea Manning, it's that we should definitely trust the authorities on all of their <laughs> uh, particular <laughs> opinions of things. Yeah. But I mean, I think that just... And I think it slightly goes back to what I was saying that Chelsea Manning is a thorny issue, you know, whereas like Sidney Crosby not going to the White House right now is a pretty easy issue. I suppose so. I would say that Chelsea, the Chelsea Manning debate is a debate. It's a debate that we seem really reluctant to have for some reason. Duly noted. Dave, what do you have? Well, I tend to live in the arts world. And so uh, I noted this week that the Rogers Fiction Prize just announced that they are going to be upping their prize amount to $50,000 now the winner gets, which puts it uh, in closer align with uh, the Giller and I guess puts the heat on the Governor General's Award to start shelling out some money here. (laughs) Governor General Award under heat. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But what I think is sort of more interesting, and uh, we've seen this come up in terms of literary prizes and arts prizes in general in the last little while, Earlier in September, it was revealed that the Gillers had started limiting how many books particular presses could actually submit. It was down to roughly one a press unless you had won awards or something like that before. And then in the wake of the Polaris sort of once again going to an unexpected winner or whatever you want to call it, uh, which I know some people even find problematic, uh, and other sort of controversy around how it was decided, I think it's just we need to have a different kind of conversation about awards in this country and what their actual purpose is. I find often uh, we sort of tend to take these things as just, isn't it wonderful that someone is getting $50,000 for what they're doing? And I don't want to uh, begrudge anyone that. It's 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 great. It's just, this is really part of a weird winner-take-all mentality that I don't think actually helps uh, the arts in Canada as much as we think it does. I think it helps the industry. I don't know that it helps our culture any. Are you suggesting that the corporate sponsors of arts prizes are more interested in just like, I don't know, looking good than they are in actually helping the arts scene? As weird as it seems. uh, Dave, like what is wrong with Canada that we're looking to like the prizes need to reform? Like that's our economy is that the arts system is just like about we eat if prizes are awarded more equitably. It's just baffling to me too because like the idea that even something like the Polaris, like, oh, it's so good for these emerging artists. But like it's good for that one particular emerging artist 
does nothing to help every other emerging artist who didn't happen to like get 10 people to agree with them while they were getting drunk on Monday at the car law. Yeah, but doesn't shouldn't we just get away from a, an economy based on who gets grants and who gets prizes and actually try to have a... A basic support, a grassroots thing, something No, in... an industry. Anyhow, it... we, I mean, we do for music. We do for music. I just feel like people in search of funding for their project, it's like water trying to... You, you take the path of the least resistance. What is the mm. closest line between me and funding? And in Canada, that is a route to prize money and grants. I suppose that's true. I suppose I think about it as a better way to build an industry is not sort of a subsidy model where you pick someone who gets a bunch of money, but is a a more grassroots base level model where you actually encourage people to engage with these things. And then of their own accord, they decide to spend money on them. Duly noted. Finally, I would like to duly note that Rick Mercer is ending his show after 15 years. And I haven't talked a lot about Rick Mercer as he exits this, uh, I guess, stage of his career and his like CBC show of 15 years and whatever, how many years he had on, on this hour has 22 minutes before that, you have to recognize that this is a really smart guy who works really hard. This is a guy who I think speaks intelligently and passionately about things that he cares about. And I think that he's somebody who doesn't always talk about the easiest thing. Like he, he'll, Mm -hmm. he'll find issues that matter to him. And I think like what is most remarkable about Rick Mercer as a comedian is that in all of that work, he has never made me laugh. <laughs> and that's I, I, a matter of taste, right? About sure, a comedian. Except sure. that I don't know that he tries to. Like it's a really <laughs> unique thing in Canada that our preeminent political comedian doesn't write jokes. Like he has a very weird form of humor the rant and like it feels like he's just more interested in like ranting at you than crafting comedy. He doesn't tell jokes. That's fair. I will admit here that like due possibly to the fact that he does not tell jokes, I have not watched Rick Mercer in a long, long, long time. But I mean, like, I think it is sort of universally true that you do not become a big name in political comedy or at least like able to get the kind of guests that he has gotten over his career without being more or less toothless in the middle of the road. <laughs> I mean, that is also must be said, and John Doyle said it too, is that, and this is sort of what I detest about his style of satire, is that it's more about going skinny dipping with a politician yeah. and showing that they have a light side or doing silly stunts in partnership yes, where yeah. the politician gets to show that they have a sense of humor about themselves. And and it is toothless in that like it draws no blood. It, it actually adds to their image. It doesn't take anything away. Yeah. And I think that's the most damning thing you can say about him. And and I appreciate like that is a weird Canadian thing where like, yeah, maybe he couldn't funk. I don't know. I, I, we watch the Americans who do really biting stuff. And I think we would watch a Canadian who does the same. In the circles that he travels in to get those guests, as you suggest, maybe he has to play nice like that. I think so. Uh, I also just think it's harder as ever to do a smaller, more niche thing. If the CBC isn't entirely interested in rocking that kind of boat, and hey, they might have a particular interest of some kind of not being too mean to politicians for some reason. (laughs) Uh, You know, it's like, where else is it going to come from? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Duly noted. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. 
And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool, doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer. And it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, it's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody Half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does Help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. Dave, before we speak about our next topic, I want to talk about another sponsor of today's show, Factory Theatre. They just launched their 48th season of all Canadian theater at the Factory Theater here in Toronto with the Fish Eyes Trilogy, written by and starring Anita Majumder, an award-winning playwright, dancer, and actor. Our in-house theater critic, we don't have an in-house theater critic, we have an editor who loves the theater, and Jonathan Goldsby went and caught the show last night. And he called it a tour de force. He said that it has a remarkable, highly physical, dance-filled performance from Anita Majumder. This is something that if you are a theater lover, you should check out. And if you don't get a chance to go to the theater, then why not do that? With razor-sharp writing, humor, and elegance, the Fish Eyes trilogy embraces the incredible highs and devastating lows that come with the awkwardness of youth, including bullying, teenage heartache, and cultural identity interspersed with spellbinding traditional and contemporary Indian dance. One thing Jonathan Goldsby said, he went with Allie Graham, uh, one of our producers here, and she's from, like, suburban BC, and she says, like, this show gets it right in making fun of people from suburban BC. The show runs from September 26th to October 15th at the Factory Theatre. Tickets are on sale now for 20 to 50 bucks. Listeners of Canada Land can save 20% on tickets when you go to factorytheater.ca slash CanadaLand, offer code CanadaLand. One last sponsor to note today, a new sponsor for us, the Thursday Boot Company. When I talk about these sponsors, they want me to try out their stuff so I can give a personal endorsement. Dave, the problem with that is that I keep getting all of this good free stuff and it's a bad look here in our office for me to be sleeping on free mattresses and walking around in free clothes and my staff, you know, Jonathan Goldsby went to the play. Mm. I didn't go to the play. And our business development guy, Corey Marr, got a pair of boots. I didn't get a pair of boots. I am jealous. I like the look of these boots from Thursday Boot Company. As I was preparing my notes for today's show, Corey received his boots and he says that his main fear was that they wouldn't fit. 
buying boots off the internet. He used the sizing guides on Thursday Boot Company's website. They fit perfectly. They look great. They smell great. That leather, new leather mm. smell. I really thought that anecdote was going to end with you realizing you need to hire more people of your exact build and height. <laughs> right. So I can give them like a secondhand. Uh, yes. Yeah, like, so that way I don't have to feel bad about walking right, around with all this free stuff. Boots, yeah. And then the like, staff won't resent yeah, me. Yeah, there you go. Get a pair of Thursday boots. Head over to thursdayboots.com. And use the code, here's the code, it's not Canada Land, thursdayboots.com, offer code free ship today. the number two, free ship today. thursdayboots.com. Dave Barry, I'd like to tell you about a new project that the Globe and Mail just launched. I love hearing about new projects. Sometimes newspapers report the news and sometimes they embark upon projects, and this is the latter. The Globe and Mail has teamed up with the Kielbergers, Mark and Craig Kielberger, the philanthropist slash, um, they have a for-profit company too, so I don't, they, they have a name for right. it, Social Enterprise. Yes. So they've partnered with this private company and charity, both, I guess, like they're these two organizations, for some reason to teach the children about media literacy. Media literacy is very important. There are mm-hmm. already programs and curricula in, in schools to teach kids about media literacy. But the Globe and Mail is now working with the Kielbergers to teach kids about media literacy. And they're actually doing like curricula. They're doing like lessons that are going to get into the classroom. You have a private company working with a newspaper to get lessons into the classrooms. You know, if you're teaching kids about media literacy, you might start with media coverage of the Kielbergers. You might. it's, It's interesting stuff. You might ask questions about like, well, isn't it interesting that the Kilbergers have been like columnists for the Globe and Mail and they're partners with the Globe and Mail in this effort. And then the Globe and Mail also writes, covers them journalistically with headlines like Global Learning Center takes we organization to new heights and other headlines like Craig and Mark Kilberger believe changing the world is possible. Wow, that that is amazing. Isn't that yeah. a great news headline? Finally, you know, finally, it's nice to see some good news in the paper once in a while. One of the Kilbergers was a, a participant in the Canada Reads mm-hmm. effort. And that happened right before the story that we covered, where the CBC had a documentary that was critical of the Kilbergers' volunteerism and how they have these huge We Day celebrations where, and it's actually in partnership with schools and, and, and kids in schools, go to these massive, like, Rogers Center, huge uh, stadium shows where they're told that they can change the world. And then they come out, and in this documentary, there were kids saying, oh, I want to go on one of these Kielberger volunteerism programs where you pay, like, you know, almost $4,000 to go. And the CBC had a documentary that was critical of these volunteerism programs. They're not actually always helping places. That Sometimes it's just about... Yeah. And they actually were critical of the Kielberger's own volunteerism programs. But then we reported that CBC pulled the documentary at the last minute. And when the documentary finally aired, a lot of the Kielberger stuff had been edited out. You know? Yeah. Anyone seems, remember that? Seems like an interesting uh, way to learn about the media. You can learn about the media. And, yeah. and you know what you learn? If, if, the more that kids learn about media literacy and the Kielbergers, you learn, well, why did the CBC edit out that Kielberger stuff? They said it wasn't a censorship issue. It was a copyright issue that the Kielbergers complained that they had used footage of We Day that uh, they didn't have authorization. It's interesting. Journalists needed to get authorization. Mm -hmm. Well, who has the authority? It turns out that the footage of We Day 
was Global TV exclusive because the Kilbergers have another media partnership. They actually had a partnership with Global TV to have exclusive access to We Day. And then they were able to somehow compel CBC to remove footage from a journalistic work saying, well, that belongs to us in, in exclusive partnership with Global. Whew. So it's really interesting if you're trying to promote media literacy to look at what a big organization could gain in terms of inhibiting negative coverage and having power over how you're covered when you have all of these partnerships. Obviously, the reason why they have a bit more cover to do this is because of the whole fake news thing that came up. And uh, I don't want to downplay that issue too much, but like one of the other gigantic issues when it comes to uh, the media landscape right now is sponsored content, which is a more or less what the Kielberg has been doing with the Globe and Mail and all these places for a long, long time. Like, I don't know what the actual... Uh, arrangements are, but it's essentially let us write a thing that promotes our business and you get it for free or you get to, you know, act like you're with us. And on top of that, the other problem is, is that no one knows how to spot this stuff. You look at the statistics on this and even on like, you know, a website like BuzzFeed that is labeled something like 80 to 90 percent of the people do not know that they're essentially looking at an ad, an ad that has been carefully crafted to look like other content. Wouldn't that be in Canada where we haven't had a fake news problem the way that it afflicted America? We do have the first media literacy thing you might teach is how to spot what is an ad, what is on an article, an editorial article that is free from any kind of influence and what lies in between. And that's not something that is easy to tell with the Kielbergers coverage. And we should say this because uh, we want to be fair and accurate, but also because the Kielbergers sued Saturday Night Magazine years mm -hmm. ago for libel, eventually settling out of court for $319,000. And since then, it's hard to find much critical coverage of the Kielbergers. So we're going to be careful here. And, and I'll say to your point earlier that they essentially are doing sponsored content. I actually don't know if that's true. I know that they uh, have hired or at least featured Kielbergers as columnists. I know that they mm. partner with the Kielbergers. I can state those things as facts. Have the Kielbergers purchased sponsored content in the Globe and Mail the way that traditionally at the end of the story, this was paid for? Right. I, we'd have to go and, and search. But because Kielberger coverage comes in every which form by the Kielbergers, about the Kielbergers, a partnership with the Kielbergers, it makes media literacy very difficult. Yeah, absolutely. One of the headlines you mentioned was in a, a thing that ran uh, this week where there was basically two articles, one by one of the Kielbergers, Craig, I think, and one that was written by a Globe journalist, essentially about telling the same story about, you know, this idea formed on the savannas of Africa and we went with it. My eyes glazed over a little, to be truthful. But that, I think, is uh, the more pernicious, tricky. When you're talking about something like fake news, we're in a realm that's already... I would hope that people have some... a little bit of a filter or a little bit of a, a, a tweak when it comes to reading explicitly political things. Uh, if they didn't before, I think they're sort of starting to get that sense. When you're talking about things that like you you literally can't tell if it's an, an ad or a, or an, an article or and I mean like you know speaking of the globe too this was an organization that a while back I know it got dropped but that like was flirting with the idea of having columnists write sponsored content of having you know like yeah in, the, in their union negotiations they were asking their staff to be forced that you would have no choice but to write so yeah. This is one of the, I think, like the major issues in media literacy. How do you tell what is just written because someone wants you to know it? And how do you tell what has been paid for or placed or mm -hmm. massaged? And um, to have an organization that has been this intimately connected with, again, media across the country, suggesting that they're going to teach kids what media literacy is, is troublesome. 
troublesome, let us say, let us say problematic. I, I find it also troublesome the access that private organizations are getting to our schools. We, we covered before the Petroleum Producers Association cap, and, and it goes through the media because mm. the media, I think, have easier access to classrooms. So Canadian Geographic magazine was able to insert curriculum into this the into, into the public schools of Canada, but it was like pro oil sands curriculum that was created. It was sponsored. It was it was like sponsored lessons mm-hmm. that CAP had uh, had paid for. So uh, there's echoes of that for me in the Kielbergers who already have a lot of access to our schools, and and here they are working with the Globe and Mail, and it, maybe it helps them to be working with the Globe and Mail in terms of getting whatever curricula this is. You know, I have no idea and I'm not making any allegations as to what the, the grand plan, yeah. Yeah, it, it, but this is stuff that I feel like we have taken our eye off the ball uh, as, you know, in fact, we even extol the virtues of like, oh, it's a private public partnership. Yeah. That's progressive. That's where things are going. So we've opened up avenues whereby private companies get access to our public schools. And that's weird. It is weird. I mean, one could also point out, not that I'm necessarily doing it, but that the Globe and Mail was very recently part of a group that was lobbying the government to get government funding for the newspaper. And now they're going to tell students what good media actually looks like. Like, I don't know that there's anything planned nefarious, but like that looks strange. And it is probably something that should we should keep an eye on. We can't just assume the best intentions of these people because they say they have good intentions. That is your Canada Land Shortcuts for this week. I hope you enjoyed it. You can email me anytime at jesse at canadalandshow.com and I read everything you send me. I respond when I get a chance. We are on Twitter at CanadaLand. Dave Barry, where can people find you? You can find me on my website, thedavidberry.com. And uh, I'm currently on a Twitter break, so not there. Oh, good for you. Thanks. <laughs> I saw that eye roll. Our news stories can be a part of your Facebook newsfeed experience when you like our Facebook page. Give it a shot. Or you could just go to our website at canadalandshow.com. Our crowdfunding site is patreon.com slash canadaland. This episode is produced by Kevin Sexton. Syndication of Canada Land is handled by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at cfuv.ca. And if you like what we do, please support us on Patreon. Patreon.